encounters us in the place of adversity. So you get this beautiful picture of the teaching and the power is then manifested in the love and life among the believers. The pain is a call back to God to come and receive his forgiveness and to receive his care and to receive his restoration. That we are meant to be a source of life for the world. are just joining us. If this is your first time, it's a great time for it to be your first time. If it is your uh, continued time, if you've been here before, uh, it's a great time to still be here. We're in the middle of a series in Acts um, this semester where we're walking through the book of Acts. And today I get to do whatever I wanted. And so I was reading back over Acts because we're taking a break from kind of our normal progression through as everybody is on fall break. Um, and so we've worked through the first four chapters of Acts. And so I was reading back through them, just kind of praying and asking the Lord what, what he had for us. And, uh, I feel like what he had and what he has is this profound pattern that we see in the first four chapters of Acts repeated a couple times. And then I was able to see that this same pattern continues through the rest of Acts and that it encounters us too. It's been true in my life. And then I look back in the Old Testament and it's true too. And I look at the story of Jesus and it's true. So what we're gonna look at is a pattern of life and how it unfolds, and uh, yeah, but we're going to do that by doing kind of a thousand-foot flyover of the first four chapters of Acts, and we're going to highlight the pattern as we do that so you can capture it. Then we're going to apply and say, okay, so what does this pattern then actually mean for us in light of the fact that it shows up here and we can see it? And so... Here's the pattern. I'm going to give it away first, and then we'll go and we'll see it in the course of Acts. The, the pattern is this, that there is adversity, and in the midst of the adversity, there is an encounter with God. So there's adversity, and then there's encounter, and then as a function of that encounter, there is an expression of what happens in the midst of that. There is a proclamation or a demonstration that is born out of the encounter with God. And then there is another reality that I'm calling digestion, where after this thing is proclaimed or demonstrated, it becomes embodied in the life of God's people. It becomes a part of you where it's kind of digested and, and taken on board. And so we see this again, adversity, encounter, expression, and digestion. So let's take a look at Acts. I'm not going to have any scripture on the screen today because we're covering four chapters of Acts, and that would be kind of annoying to have that on the screen. And so if you have a Bible app, if you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to Acts chapter 1. And, or you can just hang out and listen because, you know, we're going to be kind of jumping through it. So the first thing that happens in Acts 1 is uh, Jesus ascends and tells his uh, 
disciples that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. He tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait for power. I said, okay, adversity. I think for the life of the disciples, there is massive adversity in Jesus, their teacher, Jesus, their Lord, their discipler, the person who they've been following night and day for the past three years, uh, goes to heaven to not return until the end of the age, which we're still waiting on. Um, Massive adversity. Everything is changing for these guys. It goes from listening to Jesus to following Jesus and doing what he says to not having him present. So adversity. But he told them in the midst of that adversity, go to Jerusalem and wait for power. So they go and they wait and they try to make some decisions about additional apostles. But then we get to Acts chapter 2 and we have the day of Pentecost where they are gathered together waiting and praying in the midst of the adversity of not having their leader, trying to sort out what they're going to do and how they're going to move forward, Um, scared with the doors locked. uh, And what happens? is there's a sound of rushing violent wind and the entire house is filled with the presence of God and divided tongues of fire come and land on their head and they're given the power to speak other languages and uh, it's an intense encounter with God. So adversity led to encounter on the day of Pentecost. That encounter led then to the expression. The disciples didn't sit in the room and lock the doors and uh, enjoy the manifest presence of God only. They did, but then they went out into the crowds and began to proclaim what was true, both proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done, but out of the place of encounter in their adversity. So they began to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God and the outflow of their encounter with the Lord. Peter goes out and preaches this just hot sermon telling people that they killed Jesus, that these crowds were the same ones that were cheering for the death of Jesus just weeks before and and, uh, said, God made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus who you crucified. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus so that your sins may be forgiven and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far away and for everyone the Lord our God calls to himself. And he's testified with many other arguments and exhortations saying, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And, they, and so you have the expression of this encounter comes with this just empowered preaching, which results in 3,000 believers turning and becoming followers. And so what happened then is that all came on everyone because many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. Everyone who believed held all their things in common. They would sell their possessions. They'd live together day by day, spending much time breaking bread with glad and generous hearts. And day by day, the Lord were adding to the number of those who were being saved. So we get this picture that this expression, this declaration of the goodness of God um, out of the encounter, out of the adversity, led to life change. That it wasn't just the proclamation of the kingdom. 
It wasn't just the proclamation of who Jesus was. And it wasn't just the demonstration, the signs and the wonders, which happened. People were healed and fed and came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. But it then changed their daily lives. It was digested. This proclamation that came out of this encounter with the Holy Spirit, which came out of the adversity of Jesus leaving, resulted in thousands of people changing their everyday lives. They changed who they hung out with. They ended up hanging out with the believers every day, breaking bread, spending much time together. They were worshiping. They were sharing their possessions. They were caring for one another. Um, the whole city was holding them, having the goodwill of all people in the city. Everybody's looking at them and saying, wow, the way that they are living is really beautiful. They're taking care of one another. They're expressing this heart of love that they were declaring. So in Acts 1 and 2, I think we have a really good picture of this. We have adversity. Jesus takes off. We have encounter. The Holy Spirit shows up. We have expression in the proclamation and demonstration of who Jesus is and his kingdom. And then we have the digestion of that reality as people's lives were changed and they live together as the church. Cycle 1. Cycle 2, we have it again in Acts 3. Uh, we have kind of a short shortened version right at the beginning of Acts 3, where we don't see the explicit adversity, but wait, it's coming. So uh, in Acts 3, Peter and John are going out to the temple at the hour of prayer. They see a man who's lame from birth being carried in. Um, Peter says, or John says, uh, Peter looked intently at him as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them and expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and no gold, but what I have to give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate. But, oh, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened. When he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in Solomon's portico, and they were utterly astonished. When Peter saw everybody show up, he started preaching and proclaiming what happened. So here we have another encounter. We have an encounter with God where God's power shows up through Peter and John. A man who was crippled is healed. Then we have the expression of that encounter. You have Peter saw it and he addressed the people and said, you Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him, but you rejected the Holy One and you killed the author of life. Then he preached a message of repentance and says, repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Okay? So we have, again, encounter, dudes healed. We have expression. Peter preaches another hot sermon, letting these people know the reality of what they're witnessing. And then we have... Um, we have digestion. 5,000 people uh, joined them in the midst of that, which is crazy. But this led again to the cycle in Acts 4, starting with adversity, because Peter and John were arrested uh, and brought into prison. And so there's more adversity. They're arrested. 
Then there's an encounter is they're brought in front, drug in front of the council and the judges in Acts 4, 7, 5, 6, 7. And then in 8, in 7, they said what they had made the prisoners stand in their midst and they inquired by what power or name did you do this? Then Peter stands up and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. We see another encounter where God's presence shows up, his power shows up. And again, Peter preaches a hot sermon where he uh, tells them that uh, they killed Jesus. And uh, they were very annoyed by this and they sent him away and commanded them not to speak anymore. But after that, the believers get together and they pray for boldness in the face of adversity. They pray for encounter in the face of adversity. All the people who held power were threatening them and telling them to stop talking about God. But after they were released, they went and prayed with their friends and asked for an encounter. And the encounter they asked for was not safety. The encounter that they asked for was not comfort. The encounter that they asked for was boldness. It said, Sovereign Lord, this is uh, 423, 24. When they heard it, they raised their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit that our ancestor David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand had, planned, had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant your servants to speak with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Then they had prayed, and the place they were gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. So in the midst of adversity and in the midst of future threatened adversity, what the believers did is they came together and they asked for encounter. They asked for the power of God to speak with boldness. They asked for Jesus to stretch out his hand through them to heal and perform signs and wonders. They didn't ask for the adversity to end. They asked for God's power to meet them in the midst of the adversity. And then the end of four shows us digestion again. Now the whole group of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of anything. They, everything they owned was in common, and with great power the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and grace was upon them all. There is not a needy person among them, for as many owned land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. So you get this beautiful picture of the teaching and the power is then manifested in the love and life among the believers. So we see adversity, encounter, expression, which is proclamation and demonstration, and then digestion, where it is embodied and becomes part of their lives. So I think it's a cool pattern. 
I think it carries forward. What we're going to see in Acts as we move forward is uh, different sections of this. We kind of have had one storyline in Acts, but pretty soon we're going to start to look at two or three different storylines coming together, and you're going to get glimpses of this, and you're going to see places where there is adversity and encounter. You're going to see where there's encounter and expression. You're going to see digestion of the new life coming together. You're going to see each of these kind of weaving together, and I think it's cool that it fits into this coherent framework. This isn't reserved for the New Testament. I think it's reserved for just God's people in general. It's one of the ways that God works. I was reading the life of Joseph, and you have massive adversity, right? He is sold into slavery. He is unrighteously imprisoned. Adversity, he is encountered. He's met with dreams and visions in the midst of that adversity, He's encountered by God. He's given the ability, he's given favor supernaturally. He's given dreams. He's given visions. And then eventually he's given the opportunity to express what God is speaking to him when he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And then he gets put in charge of all of Egypt and he gets to embody that. He gets to call the nation to reserve grain and his family gets to come and move in. And you have this beautiful picture of salvation and restoration that happens. This is the same thing in the life of Jesus, that there's this adversity, right? Like the sin of the world is laid upon him. He is crucified and died. And in three days, there's this massive encounter where the spirit of God raises him from the dead because death could not hold him. And then there is this expression, this demonstration of his kingdom as he goes around for 40 days, revealing himself and showing people that he is alive and entrusting the disciples with the proclamation and demonstration of the reality of God's life and resurrection in Jesus. And then there's digestion in the church as we still gather together in his name and are transformed by the work that he did on the cross and in the resurrection. As we adhere and become his disciples and adhere our life to his teaching, we embody, we become the body of Christ and embody his teachings and will and as a meeting place for his spirit in the world. This adversity, encounter, expression, and digestion is common for the life of God's people. So I was asking, why doesn't it always look like this for us? Where are the challenges for us in engaging in this narrative? I think there's a couple things. I think that um, in our culture, there is a propensity to avoid adversity, um, to try to kill pain or to ignore pain or to walk away from it. And I get it because adversity sucks. It's really hard. It's really painful. But I don't think avoiding it actually makes it go away or makes it any better. I think to grapple with and embrace the adversity that we all actually face in our lives, the pain and the difficulty that comes from life in a fallen world. I think to not avoid it, but to embrace it with the understanding that God encounters us in the place of adversity. Like that's where he meets us. He meets us in reality. God doesn't meet us in lies. He meets us in truth that he encounters us where we actually are, not where we pretend to be. And so when we avoid the adversity, when we try to gloss over or pretend like the pain isn't actually painful, it keeps us from encountering God in that place because we don't actually dwell in that place. 
I think when we come into the place of adversity and recognize the reality of the pain and the difficulty that we are in, it makes room for us to be able to encounter God in that place. So I think let's not avoid the adversity that we're all actually already facing. I don't think we have to go and make new adversity just so we can encounter God. It's not up to us to gin that up and try to do things to whatever, but let's not avoid the adversity that we're actually facing, but allow it to be a meeting place with God. I think there's another reason in the midst of adversity that we don't encounter God. And I think that's because we can walk around with this lie, with this false belief that somehow we deserve the adversity that we're facing. That somehow because we have sinned, that we have screwed something up in our lives, that we deserve it. And so we don't think that it is going to be a meeting place of God. We think that we are meeting the wrath of God. And I'm not going to say that there are not consequences for sin. There's always, I mean, like sin leads to death. Like when we sin, it is actually bad for us. And the result is almost always pain. But that's not God's punishment. That's the reality of sin. Sin leads to death. The wages of sin are death. Sin pays you in death. But Jesus came not for our death, not to steal, kill, and destroy us. That's what the enemy does, and he entices us into that with sin. What Jesus does is he comes to bring us life and life abundantly. And so rather than accepting the narrative of shame that drives us away from God in the midst of our adversity, we can flip that script and realize that the pain is a call back to God to come and receive his forgiveness and to receive his care and to receive his restoration. Shame is not from God. Shame is a tactic of the enemy to drive you away from the one who can actually care for you in that place of brokenness and pain. Shame is a strategy of the devil. There is conviction. We can fall into conviction. I'll do something wrong. And the Lord's like, hey, that's wrong. And I'm like, yes, that's wrong. Repentance is not an act of like beating ourselves up. Repentance is simply an act of turning around to recognize wrong as wrong, to turn in the right direction and say, Lord, I am sorry. Would you help me to walk in the right direction and to receive the forgiveness that he has already given you? And First John one nine. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful, and it doesn't say he who is faithful and good. It doesn't say he who is faithful and merciful, although God is both good and merciful. That's not what it says here. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. That when we confess our sins and accept the forgiveness from Jesus, it's not God being nice, although the reason that he sent Jesus was because he loved us so much. But when he forgives us now, it is not a matter of his goodness. It is not a matter of his mercy. It's not primarily a matter of his kindness towards us. It is a matter of his justice. That Jesus has actually paid for your sin. He actually has paid for it. And if God were to withhold his forgiveness from you, 
When you confess your sin and turn back to God and ask him, if he would to withhold that, it would be unjust, not just unkind. And God is a God of justice. He has already dealt with your sin on the cross. It is defeated in Christ's victory. And so shame is a tactic from the enemy. So in the midst of your adversity, if you find yourself in the consequences of your sin, turn to God. Allow him to encounter you in the adversity. Don't buy the lie of the shame narrative that is meant to keep you from the source of life. So in the midst of adversity, we don't avoid it, we don't ignore it, and we don't buy the lie from the enemy that says we deserve it. We turn back to God and allow him to encounter us in that place of adversity. What I think is interesting about these encounters is that they're not just for us, that there is a powerful reality that God will encounter us in the place of adversity. He shows up there, <laughs> sometime in amazing room-shaking ways where, where the Holy Spirit comes in and everything changes in a moment. Sometime God encounters us in adversity like Joseph in a prison cell for 13 years. Sometimes it's like Moses in the desert for 40 years. That God encounters us in adversity, but sometimes it's not just in the fast, mighty way. Sometimes it's in the slow, unseen, hidden way of God working on our hearts and caring for us in the desert. But either way, those encounters aren't just for us. Those encounters aren't meant just to stay here. Just me and Jesus, okay, he encountered me and that's great. It's meant to flow outward. It says rivers of living waters will flow out of the lives of believers. That our encounters are meant to flow out. That we are meant to be a source of life for the world. That expression then is healthy. Expression is what we're made for, for it to come out and flow. And so if you're in the midst of encounter rather than adversity, I want to encourage you guys that expression is healthy to let the life that you are receiving from God to flow out and encounter those around you is the way that it's supposed to be. It's the common pattern throughout all of scripture. It's the common pattern in the New Testament. It is the common pattern in the church that what is the healthy expression is in the midst of adversity and difficulty and pain, we encounter God and he meets us and delivers himself to us in the pain and makes us alive when we are dead and gives us hope when we are hopeless, and gives us joy in the place of mourning, praise in the place of heaviness, and then it comes and it's meant to be an expression to the world to taste and see and encounter the goodness of God. To be witnesses, to allow the reality of what's going on in here to touch those out there. And then it's not just supposed to be something that we say and do. God didn't... (laughs) God didn't make us, he didn't call us to be a nation of people, of of preachers and evangelists only. But the primary call is to be conformed to the image of his son. The most important thing is not something that we do, but it is who we are becoming in him. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By receiving life from Jesus, we are to be conformed into his image, not just saying and doing the right things, but actually becoming someone who says and does what God desires. It's not just a matter of white knuckling the right expression of trying to do the right acts over and over again in our own strength and power, but it is submitting to the life and spirit of God in us so that we can digest and become the kind of people who naturally, whose instinct is to do and embody the life of Jesus. When the believers shared their possessions, it said they were of one heart and one soul, It didn't say that they all made an agreement as to how they were going to navigate uh, sale of property and distribution of wealth. It doesn't say that they all worked really hard to sort this out. It said they had one heart and one soul. And the only way for there to be that sort of unity is for it to be the heart and soul of God. That it is Jesus' heart and his soul to care for these people. We can't construct the unity from outside of us. We can't contrive it and bring it together. We can't just dictate and mandate that people do this, this, and this. But what we can do is help people come into an encounter to, to allow the life of God to come down inside of them and transform them. So that what comes out is this glad and generous hearts of selling their possessions and eventually giving up their lives for the sake of the gospel, stepping into the adversity because it's not their lives. It was Christ's life being formed in them. So I want to give us a few minutes just to dwell on this a little bit. So ask the Lord, you know, where am I in this cycle? And how can I be cognizant to care for my friends where they are in this? Because today, where it might be hitting you is like, oh my goodness, I avoid adversity. That I am trying to ignore the pain and problems in my life, and I'm not allowing Jesus into those. That might be where you are. Maybe where you are is, uh, I feel like I'm under God's punishment, and I deserve where I am. Maybe what the Lord wants to do is meet you in that place and say, I'm just. Turn to me. Let me actually take that pain from you. Let me take that guilt from you and give you my righteousness. Maybe we're in the midst of encounter and it is glorious and God is working at a rapid pace in our life right now. And we're seeing transformation and we're seeing hope and we're seeing life. Maybe the question there is to say, Lord, who do you want me to express this to? How do you want me to let the life that you are pouring into me flow to those around me who might be in a place of adversity? Maybe we're in the place of receiving expressions, or maybe we are even sharing those things, but there's a deeper invitation to allow what you are expressing, allow what you are experiencing to become part of who you are, to allow God to do the transforming work, to change the kind of person that you are, to let his life come and replace your life, to let your heart change and your mind change and your disposition change, to let the things that you have heard and the things that you have said and even the things that you have experienced come a little bit deeper, become part of you, 
so that you can not just be a conduit of the gospel, that you can not just be a proclaimer of the gospel or someone who even tastes and sees that God is good, but you can become an embodiment of good news.